You're listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. Great to have you guys back. I think today again we have an amazing sub in for Gary Hawkins, your favorite sub on the Retail Perch. <laughs> Stephanie, Stephanie, you're back on the show. I don't know what you did to Gary, but it looks like you're starting to reproduce him. Well, I feel really lucky to be here, Shaker, but uh, Gary is always missed when I'm here. We're always missing Gary. So he has nothing to worry about for me. Yes, Gary, you have nothing to hear, worry about if you're listening to this episode. You know, Stephanie did great, but I think they're like the absolute best. Yeah, so, he's, he's irreplaceable, so. That's right. Gary is totally <laughs> By the way, he's doing a lecture today at Georgetown guest lecture, and his guest lectures are quite fantastic. I've heard uh, I've heard a couple of them being recorded. But maybe Stephanie, one of these days, we get those guest lectures in the podcast. That's, that would be a better. Yes, idea. we could do that, and we've also talked about interviewing Gary ourselves. So yeah. Anyway, as you guys know, uh, you know, on the retail perch, we talk all things retail, trending topics, technologies. And today we have uh, somebody very interesting as a guest here. I think it's the first time we're getting somebody from the financial side of things who's starting to look at customer behavior and how that can be leveraged to drive promotions for brands. And so I want to welcome here uh, Mike Novosel. Mike comes to us from Carlytics and he's got a very interesting background. So I want to turn it over to you, Mike. Welcome to the Retail Perch and take a few minutes to tell us where you're coming from, your background and what do you do at Carlytics? Yeah, and Shaker and Stephanie, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. I appreciate uh, you inviting us to uh, join today. But yeah, so nice to meet you all. Uh, I run our grocery, fuel, and convenience business. So anything everyday purchase that you as a consumer would interact with basically is what I live and breathe every day. And we at Carlytics, the way that most of uh, consumers and marketers for that matter would know us or not be aware that they know us is that when you log into your bank and you are presented with the opportunity to engage with a brand through what many banks have presented as cashback rewards in either your banking application, the emails they send you, or the login environment on desktop, uh, we power that experience for 2,000 financial institutions. So Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Truist, you name it. And the secret sauce, if you will, behind the scenes is that on the advertiser and marketer side of the house, we create incremental value by virtue of the fact that we are the only ones that the issuers trust with using actual consumer purchase behavior to discern where opportunity resides from a share of wall perspective, and then act upon it as a lifecycle marketing vehicle to drive consumer habituation and results in a way that many other channels cannot. So yeah, I always like to say that we know probably better than you do where you shop, how often, how much you're spending. I and mean, we're in the unique position to really help inform marketers more than any other uh, technology or marketing partner out there. That's fantastic. And, and uh, Mike, what was your background before you came on to Cardlytics? Oh, yeah. Like majority of, I would say, uh, the graduating classes in today's college environment, I went straight into finance and the business world. So I actually was a bond trader for five years um, out of college. So I worked at Royal Bank of Canada, and then I worked at a hedge fund. I took all the things I love from the finance world and all the things I hated from the finance world and found that they were mutually applicable and uh, benefited uh, you know, my personality and my skill set very well by moving into the marketing world. So started there out of college, uh, moved into originally email marketing, 
and worked at a company that Oracle acquired called Responses. So I'd say I was exposed very early on to the nuances of how customer journey mapping, lifecycle orchestration, database management, you name it, extended into cross-channel orchestration. And then by extension of that, the next phase of my career journey was I worked in programmatic advertising for five years leading new business sales at a large-scale demand-side platform called MediaMath, which very much was intentionally trying to apply the same concepts, but in the form of advertising. One place to optimize, manage the consumer journey through the advertising experience and branding experience. And I would say kind of an amalgamation of all those worlds together is what has led this Cardlytics opportunity and the work I do every day to be particularly interesting because it really forces us, myself and my team, to think about how we use data to create value for both the banks, uh, the consumers, and then the uh, marketers and grocers specifically that we serve day in, day out. That's awesome. That's super interesting. So, so you're actually connecting brands to consumers through your awareness of where consumers spend their money at different retailers, right? Now, are you getting access into basket level or is it overall spend of the retailer? Uh, phenomenal question, because uh, this is where I would say the future ambitions of where we're intentionally trying to invest and expand our offering longer term to better serve the segment reside. Um, so in current state, I would say the core capacity of our business has been, you know, I really boil it down to you log in your bank statement and you put your marketer hat on and say, what could someone analyze here at a customer level? It's that's what we see. The brand they spend at, the timestamp, the date, the dollar amount, and then a, a, view, a view into that whole wall of behavior, both with your brand and outside of your brand uh, by merchant level data. Where we're trying to evolve to, uh, we made an acquisition, I, I believe it was about six months ago, a company called Bridge. And Bridge's specialization, if you will, was effectively acting as a, an, an amplified customer data platform that really presented retailers with the ability to discern for their unknown but known customer base, those that buy with them, habituate with them, but aren't part of the loyalty program, what are they actually buying? What's in their basket? And helping extrapolate that data out, model against it, and understand consumer behavior. So you combine that type of capability uh, with our merchant level breadth. We call it the data T. We're trying to basically, as we integrate the businesses and work through the nuances of integrating with them, with our bank partners, really present our marketers and the suppliers they engage with, with what we call the data T, both breadth and depth into uh, cross-merchant and then in-merchant basket behavior. But I would say we are very much putting a lot of investment and focus into making that a reality come FY22. Got it. I, I love that term, by the way, data T. Because yeah. it really captures the breadth and the depth. I guess that's, that's what you're trying to convey with that word, right? Never heard that before. Never. No, that's, that's, that's nice. I'm going to start using that. So, I did not come up with it, so you can't credit it to me. You know, you know how it works. <laughs> I it to you for the first two times and the third time, I'm going to say, like I've always said. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. No, that's fantastic. So, so you must have seen some interesting uh, trends here in the last 18 or so months with customer spending. And uh, there must have been some obvious insights that you guys derived out of that. I'd love to hear what you guys saw in your yeah, um, it's, you know, I'd say probably the top themes that have come up the most over the last couple of months. Um, so for context, you know, we, we work with a very broad scope of grocers within our business segment. So, you know, the largest ones call it the Kroger's, the Walmart type of companies of the world to the super regionals like the Ajo Del Hayes, all the way down to more regional specific players. And 
The very interesting thing, you know, I was listening to your episode about the visit to the grocery shop in Vegas. And I said to my team, as soon as I came back, I vividly recall a conversation that Barbara Connors from 8451 hosted up in front of everyone. And I left it saying, you know what, even the most smart marketers that were very well equipped with their own first party data and had all everything teed up from data architecture to consumer fulfillment, et cetera, all the way down to those that were completely ill-equipped, still struggle with the same thing, which is the fact that COVID just introduced sheer variance of consumer behavior that makes it extremely difficult to preempt and predict what consumers are going to want from them and do next. And that is a consistent challenge across the board. So that one really stuck with me because, you know, when we came back and we took a hard look at how we're serving our clients, you know, we really kind of flipped the script, if you will, and said, we need to take an intentional approach to understanding where the gap resides per, per merchant to help, you know, abate the next thing they're trying to solve for or solve that big challenge. And a lot of it really just came down to, the, again, the simple sheer fact, many of them had difficulty in predicting what consumers wanted next. So, you know, back to your previous question of just like, what were the things we were observing? A really simple one I'll say is that brand preference and channel preference completely flipped on their head, right? From a brand preference perspective, we were watching the, the just sheer introduction of, we'll call, we call them disruptors. So think of it as like e-com pure plays, third-party delivery, you name it, being put into the mix and consumers being on their couch now presented with more options than ever through a wrench in a lot of the loyalty paradigm that many of the grocery segment for decades felt like they had it pinned down with through their loyalty architecture and their programs. The second was channel preference. So I think as you probably have observed and I've heard you voice before on previous episodes, the whole conundrum of convenience and third-party delivery, it's really, I would say, driving a fork in the road of discerning which are consumers that prefer speed over the brand they're buying from and they could care less who they're buying from versus the ones that actually care enough about the given brand, the quality of the produce they're selling, the quality of the product offering, that they actually intentionally want to select that consumer within that modality of purchase, if you will. And I think a really great kind of kumbaya representation of all of this, having to think bigger in really broad strokes, is the fact that restaurant spend and grocery spend, when we've charted them out over the last 24 months, have been almost to a T, keeping the theme of, the theme of T, been inversely correlated one to one. A lot of consumers, just as soon as COVID hit, that used to buy takeout, used to take you know their family out every time, every once a week to go uh, have a family meal. They were now forced to go think about purchasing groceries. And what happens when shelter in place removes? You watch a lot of that habituation resume that had previously been conditioned leading up to COVID. So, in broad strokes, I would say those are the main themes we had, along with a you know a variety of other things such as trying to understand consumer churn, omni-channel adoption, et cetera. Interesting. So, do you see some of the habits that kind of flipped during COVID kind of continue? Do you think there's a there's a new normal that's been reached, or do you think we're just going to go back like a rubber band? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and this is not necessarily Cardlytics validated research by any means, but, you know, I think there's been a lot of anecdotal or survey research that shows consumer preferences, like consumers themselves are saying they're not going to change behavior. I recall there was, I think it was the spoon was the source about a month ago that they did a survey asking about shopping preference. And it stated around a quarter of shoppers said they actually expect to buy more frequently than they did than during the, than during the pandemic. And then a third didn't plan to change and revert their online shopping habits at all. So while we have seen, I would say most 
of this rehabituation occur. I would say within the online segment alone, a lot of that habituation has stuck specifically within online pure play and even omni grocers that did a good job of capturing it. But the sheer opportunity that just still is blatantly sits out there from a lot of what we've seen has been this, you know, we refer to it as omni-channel conversion, if you will. 75% to 85% on average across the spectrum of grocers of their sales are still driven by in-store only customers. But when you compare omnichannel adoption to their peer set, they're more often than not only capturing about 5 to 15% of their total omnichannel share wallet. And all of this really just comes down to the simple fact that I'd say, uh, back to like flipping the script on loyalty, a lot of grocers thought that they didn't need to do anything other than offer up their loyalty program to the people that spend a ton in store. What they're realizing now is that they're actually lagging in omni adoption. So they need to intentionally continue to market to those people and drive habituation online to really truly expand basket share and wallet share long-term because there's just a lot of white space they're not grabbing to date. So No, that's fascinating because we were doing just an internal study and we found that omni shoppers spend way more than purely in-store only or online only shoppers, right? And I guess... I guess a lot of people got forcibly introduced to online shopping during the pandemic, realized its convenience, and started using it for specific categories that they felt were more, I guess, amenable to online shopping. And they, they continued to go back to the store for the periphery items and all the key items that they would like to kind of handpick themselves, right? So, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the age of the omni shopper is here. I think, uh, you know, you're going to find more and more people kind of cross-pollinating between in-store and online. And I think as people get comfortable with technology and access and channels, it's going to be shop wherever you are, right? If I'm, I happen to be at home and I can go to the store, I go to the store. If, if I'm not, I shop online. But I think retailers are starting to think about the shopper, not as an online shopper or an in-store shopper, but just as a shopper, period, mm -hmm. right? And I think the channels are starting to get blurred pretty quickly here. So and yeah. I'm sure you're seeing that in your, in your data too, right? Yeah. It's just very ironic because as I'm sure we can all agree here, this conundrum has existed for quite some time in every other vertical. It's just with groceries, specifically the touch and feel of produce, what you're buying, you're eating it. People were less inclined to adopt it very quickly. And I would say that unintentionally or intentionally for that matter, led many grocer marketers or P&L owners for that matter to just think, ah, I don't have to really get to this immediately right now because that's never going to really become a thing. People are always going to want to come in store, touch and feel the product. Well, we learned otherwise. And some of them were caught flat-footed and not investing ahead of that in anticipation of it. Some of them got ahead of it. And those are the ones that ended up edging out the pact by virtue. So, so Mike, you yeah. can tell them where if, you know, if they lose a shop or where the shopper has gone to make up for what they're not giving them. So my question is this, because... I, the idea of someone seeing what is on my credit card <laughs> where I'm spending my money is a little yeah. concerning. So what, what are the privacy issues, if there are any, or you know, what, what does the company do to mitigate anyone's concern about privacy? Yeah. So thankfully, coming from the world of programmatic advertising, I'm particularly attuned to this conundrum, very uh, acutely aware of where we got ahead of it and are well positioned to abate that concern. The first thing I would say is that uh, everyone that banks, when they're presented with these offers, there is full opt-in and opt-out functionality. So by virtue, it's an opt-in capability and experience that the banks give to the consumer to create value for them. And there's full control there. 
The second thing I would call out is that there are very strict guidelines. I mean, part of the reason why a lot of brands never heard about Cardlytics, even until the last couple of years, other than it partially being our own fault, not having more of these conversations, <laughs> is the sheer fact that you know it takes a lot of time to really pass the thresholds of bank data governance, rigor, and protocol. I worked in finance. I worked at a bank. I had to deal with AML, KYC, you name it, all the fun acronyms that show up once a year for your HR training at any company you've worked at in the past. We had to do that for 10 years across banks like Chase, Wells Fargo, et cetera, before we could even think about engaging with marketers um, in a very intentional and scalable way. And from a more tactical perspective, I would say this is we don't house any of the data. Think of it as we are given a unique key and the means by which safely and with protocol instituted, we have the ability to reach into the firewalls independently of each of these banks and say, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Here's the consumer I'm trying to understand more of. Can you, based on this query, if you will, or question I have, help me understand what are the unit outputs that help me address or solve that question. And then let me act upon it by engaging the consumers that fit that profile relative to the opportunity I'm trying to capture. And then the last thing I call out is that, you know, we, as part of this, these guidelines as well, you know, there are rules put into place of not being able to single out certain merchants to target one another, because why would any grocer for that matter, trust using us as an extension of their marketing strategy of, their competitor could call up and literally rip off one another's customers. That's not what right, right. For. Um, it's to create value for all parties in the process. So there's a lot of safeguards in place. And I think in, in conclusion, the one thing I've come to appreciate the most that I was very subject to and programmatic is because we're all speaking the same language, like at the end of the day, you have to be human and the bank has to put you through a certain protocol to give you a bank account. We are not subject to the same data quality issues that many other forms of advertising are, we are uniquely positioned to see deterministically at a login account holder level, a real consumer spend. And very few ad platforms um, and partners can uniquely say that because you know there's room for error when you're not handing data sensitively yeah. like we are. Sure. No, no, I think that's really important, especially for you know both, I think the grocery industry and a lot of our listeners definitely right now are starting to get concerned about privacy and cybersecurity because of the increase in online transactions. Previously, the, they weren't really concerned about it, but as we see e-commerce grow in the, in the grocery industry, I think these are topics that are starting to become more and more important, right? And I think if you're partnering with a company like Cardlytics to help with some of your advertising and promotion management, and I think clearly you want to understand some of the security and risks associated with it and how to manage that data. That's a, so it brings me to another interesting point here, Mike, which is you briefly touched on it. I think you mentioned supply chain. And I think there's something interesting that's obviously happened in the last 18 months, which is, you know, as brands got squeezed on their supply chain and in terms of number of SKUs they could deliver effectively to supermarkets, they started doing some SKU rationalization, kind of reducing the number of varieties that they did. And I think we noticed something uh, something else pretty interesting, which is a consolidation of shoppers to specific stores. So like, like just as an example, maybe Stephanie and I know for, my, for sure my wife, we would shop at maybe three or four supermarkets, right? Pre-pandemic, right? And I think when COVID hit, you reduce that to one or maximum two because you wanted to go to one place to get everything possible, right? Instead of having to make multiple trips. And I'm wondering, that's a curious trend because what it also did is it allowed retailers to understand their customers better because they're buying a wider variety of products. 
and maybe even kind of position themselves to make sure they can capture and retain that customer now that you know you know price points so i'm wondering if if there are trends like that because we noticed that as like specific customer spend at retailers has gone up and some have diminished because of this concept of consolidation yeah it's a phenomenal point shaker and uh, you know i used to work walmart was basically my life for five years uh walmart procter and gamble and all the fmcgs the cpgs that supplied walmart was my life for majority of my career prior to joining carbonix and the one thing I, I really appreciated working with them was the attention and rigor to how do they lay the bricks, if you will, to properly capture, observe, analyze, and then act upon consumer behavior. And I think to your point with this consolidation of brand selection over time and diversification of merchandise really driving that, it's, it made the flywheel spin faster, if you will. You know, I, I say to my team a lot, like we've seen in the data that the big box retail that has grocery as a large percentage of their business, the Targets, the Walmarts of the world, the wholesale clubs, right? They were the ones that really edged out the pack the most, as we saw in the public markets, right? But if you pack, if you unpack it to the fundamentals of why, it was really because they were the ones more than anyone else of the core grocery only players that had to get ahead of this problem years ago because their retail business really re relied upon it so much, right? Um, Walmart has been thinking about this for a decade, <laughs> whereas your local grocer had really only started to think about trying to digitize their e-commerce experience and uh, our loyalty program in the last three years, right? So it, it almost, you know, I hate to refer to it as natural selection, but it almost, you know, was a form of nat unintentional natural selection that occurred. I'm a business that already was thinking very intentionally around how do I capture consumer behavior on an omni basis? How do I use that to get them to buy electronics, consumables, durables more frequently for me? Oh, now they're trialing me for grocery for the first time. Guess what? I know how to speak to them pretty well because I'm used to doing it over here. And they were just better able to preempt consumer behavior and drive habituation more quickly than you know, a legacy grocer that now had someone trialing them for the first time online. So it was an unintended consequence, I would say, of that big box segment being well-equipped, prepared, and able to speak to consumers more quickly as this variance was introduced into the market in terms of habituation. But yeah, I, would, I fully agree. I think that's one of the things <laughs> that gives something like an Amazon a leg up on some of the retailers because they're, they've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I think it's a very fair point and it almost you know, brings back, I feel like an age old discussion we, we as an industry have been having around where is the separation between mass commoditization of brand versus, you know, instilling and still an appreciation for why you shop with that brand. And I think if you break that down into even a smaller microcosm, like I view what is happening with third-party delivery right now in the entrance since the grocery space is also really forcing a lot of grocers to think about, do I just really go deep on the consumers that appreciate the value of the product, the value of the brand, the unique benefits that this brand introduces to my neighborhood, like local formats, them being connected to the community, right? Versus, you know what, like this is a consumer that I could spend all the money I want to talking to with promotions, marketing, advertising, you name it as much as I want, but they're just never going to appreciate the nuances of building an emotional connection with the brand they shop with. And you know what, it's probably better for me to just rescind the opportunity there to someone else, but then go deep on those that are more likely to habitually give me their loyalty and, and value what I bring to the table. And I think that's the crossroads that a lot of grocers are kind of really presented with right now. 
which is why when I, you know, a lot of the clients we work with, it's really digging into the data to dissect based on spend patterns at a customer level. Who are the people that are really worth you investing in versus who are the ones that maybe you should just be taking pause? They look loyal to you, but in actuality, they're just category heavy. So maybe you shouldn't be giving them promotions to your loyalty program as much. Maybe you shouldn't be advertising to them because no matter what you do, you're just not going to establish brand preference with them. They're just, you know, to your point, they need an avocado one night for a recipe. They've got three grocery stores around them and they're just going to pick whichever one they're in the mood to go to. And, you know, I think it's an interesting conundrum that just, you know, got pulled to the forefront over the last year more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So where do you think players like, you know, I know when you think about grocery space and five years ago, we didn't really have Instacart as it exists today. Well, where do you think that format of, you know, uh, it's, it's even difficult to call it an e-commerce grocery company, right? Because they really don't have in stores, yet they're in the grocery business. And uh, so how do you see models like that? I'm sure you've seen an explosion of spending on Instacart among, you know, from your card information across your merchants. And do you see that as a format that is going to sustain? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And, I, you know, I feel like there have been a lot of recent publications and third parties. I believe it was either Winsight or Grocery Dive that had put out a recent piece on are Instacart shoppers truly loyal? And without... You know, I'm, I'm never permitted to disclose brand specific information, you know, when we have open format discussions, but I would say as a class, the loyalty to a given third party service more often than not is not there in to the degree that you would think it is because a lot of it is feature function, right? It's a, it's an arms race of who's delivering one minute more quickly or presenting a new unique format. The sheer IP in terms of the actual, you know, capabilities of the brands that rent, they then source the product from uh, the price point of those products, like that's out of their wheelhouse. And that, as we all know, of, you know, your classic econ 101 price promotion product, you know, they only have so much control over that, which is why they're more subject to this conundrum, if you will, than any other segment. And I think a good extension or validation of that you know, I always say it's similar to our practice here. Of if you really want to know where you should be focusing, just look at how consumers are speaking with their behavior. Look at how that segment is speaking with its behavior, right? Instacart's recent investments with, you know, Caper and Fabric, et cetera. I think that a lot of those businesses are realizing that the, the more utility that they can create for the actual grocers themselves by helping them get quicker to meeting the consumer where they are natively uh, over time, now that they've built critical mass um, through their own core brand, I think that's the direction that they're going to be intentionally trying to create a lot more value. And I'll give you like a really simple thing we hear a lot in market. You know, I had a conversation with a, a chief of staff at one of the larger super regionals not too long ago. And his comment to me is that we're really at a crossroads, crossroads where we know what our weaknesses are from a uh, digital e-commerce and then supply chain perspective. And we've been spending God knows how long trying to source the talent, capital, et cetera, to invest in ourselves. We're really at a point where we're realizing like there are people better equipped to do it and we're just willing to pay the money because time is the biggest asset that we can't risk wasting right now. And that one stuck with me because I think Instacart, et cetera, are really playing on that. They're realizing that, you know what, they specialized in last mile and convenience and quick fulfillment in a space that a lot of the segment was behind. So instead of trying to play that just from a shopper perspective now, work directly with the retailers themselves to say, how can we complement your core business? You license and engage with us in a capacity, some of these assets we've acquired. 
And then we will bring our data to the table on what we've observed from that consumer base to you know, make it so that one plus one equals three uh, in partnership with you. Um, so I think that's where the script is really flipping. And a lot of that back to the, are they really loyal is driving them to, I think, realize that they need to create value for the merchants they partner with elsewhere. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I think you've seen also in the last few couple of years, uh, a lot of uh, last mile delivery companies come in and you have these marketplaces where a retailer can choose multiple last mile, you know, fulfillment options. Yeah, and I guess it's a natural outgrowth when, when you have, when people recognize as an opportunity, you're going to have more startups and more companies open up in that space. I've actually noticed in looking at some of the e-commerce sites for some of the grocery stores where the individual can choose which delivery system they want to use, which I thought was really interesting because where I am, you know, you get one and that's, (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of options out there and and now they're giving the customer the option of which they want to use. I think it's interesting, Stephanie, because I think people like choices, but people don't like too many choices. Right. Exactly. There's this optimal mix. Like if I walk into a a grocery store and I see 50 different cereals, I'm confused. But if they have only one, I'm upset. Right. (laughs) So so there's some balance between the one and 50 that seems to satisfy people. Like you feel you have the freedom and yet you have the flexibility. You know, it's it's kind of it's very weird. It's one of those things of human nature where we always want what we don't have. Right. So. And I think I think the marketing machine has to obviously be flexible to understand the consumer's sentiment at that point in time to be able to respond accordingly, right? And it's like you know, you love glasses, right, Stephanie? Uh, you love frame. You know, Stephanie, by the way, has got for those of you who are listening to us, has like fifty million frames. So. <laughs> Changing one every single day. That's, that seems to be a thing. But listen, you know, I, I, there, was, there was a time when I remember, you know, when I got my eyeglasses, there was only two places you could go get your eyes tested and get frames. Right. Now, if I go and search online, there's like 500 sites where I can get eyeglasses. And sometimes I actually think that's more confusing because I wind up spending more time trying to decide where I should get it from. So, uh, and, and I'm wondering, you know, from your data, uh, Mike, and the, the kind of services you provide your, your merchants and your brands, you know, how are you helping them? You know, I mean, there's obviously with supply chain shortage and, you know, brands trying to figure out how to rationalize their SKUs and there's a bunch of tankers stuck outside Long Beach. I mean, how is, how is your data helping solve that whole supply chain shortage and providing some answers? Yeah, and I'll unpack that in two ways, and uh, Shaker, just to give you an analogy of the when is too much choice? Too much choice is you know I'll you take some what some of the concepts you're watching the segment introduce to really expand basket size and LTV like uh, Albertsons with Fresh Pass and Hy-Vee with their subscription service. That rightfully is a vehicle where you know it's it's shown a correlation in LTV by introducing it. The irony in doing that is now you're introducing a subscription service. And as we all learned from the early days of COVID, most people only have such a threshold for so many subscription services. Deloitte, you know, I I remember a study they came out with, it was like February, the first year of COVID. And, you know, it it stated that the average consumer can only take on 4.8 subscription fees to their bank account every month before they put one on the chopping block. Now, do you want a more clear example there of you putting yourself in a position where too many choices may not be a good thing? And now more than ever, you have to think intentionally, like, is that a good, good vehicle to 
drive habituation. There you go. To your other question around brand preference and then supply chain and selection, again, like back to whole wallet. So we'll often refer to this, this is a tipping point analysis or one way we try to help brands realize you're looking at your loyalty base from your typical in-store, now digital first loyalty program. You're telling us these are your most loyal group. They spend with you X number of times over Y period. As all of us have been in this space long enough know is that any model you built, it build, it's only as good as the data it's built upon. And what I've observed is that a lot of grocers have taken the same approach and mentality of, we know our customers so well because 80% of them have been in the store and we know who is loyal to us and misassuming that the data they're getting off of initial trial online should be viewed the same way. And I, I, I'm picking on this one because if you don't look at the whole law of view and why we call this a tipping point is you wouldn't be able to see that in actuality, when you compare your brand and the relative percent of in-category wallet share versus competitor A, B, C, it takes on average, call it 50 plus transactions over the course of a year for your brand to take over 50 plus percent of their grocery share. That alone is pretty wild when you think about it, but in actuality, it makes sense, right? If I'm buying my bulk purchases for my family with my two kids under two at Whole Foods every other week uh, or every week for that matter, but then I'm making periodic trips to Costco for diapers and then maybe adding one other thing for grocery in my wallet. And I'm going to CVS when my kids get sick and then maybe also grabbing something else. I'm being exposed to on average, call it three to four brand choices on a weekly basis, right? And I'm in that exact scenario, only really allocating, call it at most, 20% of my wallet share to Whole Foods. When you look at that on a longitudinal basis and whole wallet behavior, it really becomes clear for brands to say, what does it really take for someone to truly put us as the first consideration point? And I think that's the part that has been missing from this whole discussion for so long. And a lot of brands have had blinders on to because they've almost been self-reinforcing the problem by not thinking more holistically. They've been just looking at how consumers behave within their four walls, looking how they behave online, and then deciding when is the point? I just am okay, stop. I'm not, I don't have to market to them anymore. And they're so loyal and I don't want to put marketing and media in front of them to exacerbate that supply chain problem. But in actuality, some of those people, if you look at it in totality, you may want to actually be speaking to them more because these fringe purchases may be less subject to some of the supply chain issues. Thus, it's actually worth marketing to them and building habituation. So for, for us, it really comes down to looking at the bigger picture and plugging the gaps relative to what they're looking at as a starting point, absent anything else. That's that's brilliant analysis of the entire thing. I think it's going to take me listening to this episode a few times to unpack that. You? <laughs> yeah. I'm the layman here. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot in there. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm a grocer, you know, and listening to this podcast, Mike, what, what can I, what, what kind of, what are some of the things, advantages, can I engage with Cardlytics? Is that something that as a grocery store, I can reach out and say, hey, I want help. And how do you guys help grocery chains? Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> and the long answer is that generally speaking, it's, we're really trying to do ultimately at the end of the day is take a diagnosis first approach for really understanding what is a given grocer struggling with, and then using the assets at our disposal, help them solve that challenge, uh, given our view of the consumer behavior. The way it typically starts is understanding, is there a given unique initiative that is top of mind? We're really trying to launch stores in this market and quickly capture competitive penetration. We have new entrants in this market and we're worried about uh, share erosion. 
how do we think about building loyalty and using your view in a consumer behavior cardlytics to habituate consumers to stay with us? Or we're launching an e-commerce experience. We have really aggressive growth goals. We need to capture as much of that omni-share of wallet as possible. Cardlytics, help us understand how are consumers behaving with us on an omni basis today? And how do we get them to allocate more of that share over time? Uh, so it usually starts with just, I'd say, asking broad questions around what are the challenges you're struggling with? And, you know, given we already see a lot of most grocers own customers without them sending any data to us and can quickly tell them on an omni basis, how is your customer spending in store and online with you, with your brand and elsewhere? It gives us a good launch pad to start to ideate and say, where is the white space? Where's the headroom where we can truly drive incremental sales? And the key word there is incremental. And this is why I'd say we are uniquely positioned versus any other media platform or any other advertising partner out there. Given that we are cleanly looking at a per customer level, we can expose certain consumers to the offer and then hold back those within the group that we don't want to target from seeing that offer and then calculate by virtue of them logging into their bank in a spending environment, thinking about their money and shopping, now seeing Stop and Shop, Kroger, you name it for the first time. Did that change their decision to spend with your brand and make a decision that otherwise would not have occurred had they not been exposed. And for most of our grocers, that incremental return is north of 6x plus from a dollar in revenue dollars out, which on a gross margin basis of typical profile of 20 plus percent gross profit is a very predictable, profitable channel. So in conclusion, I, you know, I think what I've really appreciated in working with our grocery partners, considering the environment around us right now, is we solve two things. We help arm them with information that enables them to predict what will happen next better and then yield results that are profitable by only charging them when a consumer makes a decision that otherwise would not have occurred by being exposed to a bank offer. Nice. And nice. I, you know what I really like, love about that engagement model is that you really don't need any data from them. You have a launch pad of data already sitting with you to help them with some navigating some answers, then fill in the holes with other first party data that might help, you know, enhance that whole thing. Terrific. I mean, Stephanie, like I predicted, this is going to be an awesome conversation. It's been very unique, by the way, because most of the time, Mike, we were talking to solution providers or we're talking to industry experts in, in grocery and not necessarily looking at the other angle of, you know, this is another dimension of data, right, about mm -hmm. spending habits coming in. And I think it's it's incredibly valuable for grocers to start looking at customers from a kind of like a step back, a 64,000 foot view of where's my customer and what's their behavior. I think it's, it's fantastic. Stephanie, any questions before we kind of... It's a bird's eye view, actually, when you think. <laughs> I love it. I, I, was, I was getting there, but I didn't want to say it. Okay. So... No, I'm really blown away by the, just the thought that, that someone knows that I, you know, I shop at my grocery store online, right? And I started doing that during COVID. I never went back to shopping in the store. And the because of supply chain issues, I often get an order that's incomplete. So then I take my spend and I go to my little local grocery store that's right around the corner, which I never, I didn't do that before. Maybe once a week. Now I go there maybe three times a week. And the fact that someone can see that and maybe you know, give one of them a tap on the shoulder and let them know that, hey, she's doing this, Maybe, you know, what can you do to fix that is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Mike, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I'm sure uh, and we're going to get some questions. And hopefully, I'd like you to maybe quickly tell our audience how they can reach out to you uh, in case they're interested in having a conversation. 
Yeah, of course. You can visit cardlytics.com and just fill out the contact us form. You can find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Mike Novosel, N-O-V-O-S-E-L. Or you can email me directly at mnovosel at cardlytics.com. Terrific. Terrific. Again, thank you so much. And here's a surprise, right? So if you give us if you give us your uh, mailing address, Stephanie and the retail virtual mail you a coffee mug. Oh, and thank you. you appreciate uh, and, and your condition for showing up on this and another episode of the retail perch is that you got to be having a coffee mug on the deal. show. All right. Yeah, I guess normally it's an easy deal. We've never had oh, people yeah. give us trouble on that. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, we, the other thing we'd, we'd, we'd love is, you know, once you do get it, you know, uh, love to get a post from you on LinkedIn with the coffee mug and maybe that'll, we'll send you a bag of coffee too then. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh boy. No, it's been a fantastic conversation. This has been like super interesting for me. You know, I know I, we love data. We love looking at these trends and we're looking at data all day long. And to get this dimension, this angle into consumer behavior, I think is really valuable for, for a lot of our listeners as well. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion and, uh, you know, I value a lot of the content that you're bringing to the market and trying to introduce new solutions because I think if there's one thing we can all agree on is that we all need to be thinking bigger and you know constantly reframing what can we be doing better to better serve our customers and then our own businesses. Uh, and a lot of that starts with looking externally and realizing that we're not going to be able to perfect everything ourselves. So thank you for what you do. I appreciate it personally. Thank you. Thank you thank so much. You. And now, you know, now that I have Stephanie here in person, uh, virtually, I want to thank her for putting doing a great job at the retail <laughs> perch. She's the producer of retail perch. I'm just the mouthpiece, so to say. But Stephanie, thank you again. Anytime, Jake. I'm happy to do it. And, uh, you know, for you guys, if you want to reach us, the retail perch at birdseye.com, we do have a website as well. So if you want to access older episodes, you can do that there or on your favorite website. Uh, podcasting platform i believe we're also on youtube right and Stephanie? YouTube. Yep. yep yep so you know we got any questions if you want to be a guest uh do let us know although i gotta tell you that we've got a long lineup now <laughs> so you know somehow it looks like people are listening to us so clearly stephanie's doing a great job but thank you guys again have a great week be safe and mike thanks so much and hope you enjoy the rest of the year and the holidays and i know you know we're all going to be back out outside pretty soon here make sure to join us every monday and connect with us at the retail perch on instagram and facebook and if you have any questions feel free to email us at the retail perch at birdseye.com until next time this is shaker and this is gary signing off 